The past seven weeks, as you may know, I've been teaching a course on Sunday mornings between Masses on the sacraments. And during those classes, I've been speaking about how the sacraments are what the Church calls effective signs. Effective in that they bring about actual change. They make God present in a real way. They bestow His grace upon us. And yet, they remain signs. That is, the effects that they bear are behind a sort of veil, a veil of the physical world. In order to convey His grace and His loving presence to us, God hides Himself behind a physical sign or a physical act. He hides Himself behind the sacred host at Mass, behind the words of the priest in confession, behind the waters of baptism. He's truly present in all of these acts. It's He who acts, He who gives grace, but He remains hidden. To our eyes, all we see are signs. St. John, who has the final words on signs this evening, is the author of both the first reading from Revelation and the second reading from his first letter. The book of Revelation is itself a sign. It's written in a way so as to signify various messages to us, the purpose of the mission of the church, the love of God, the defeat of evil, but all the while it is written in signs. The deeper reality remains hidden behind the veil of John's vision. And in the second reading, St. John says, The reason the world does not know us is because it did not know him. The world did not know God. St. John says this again in the famous prologue to his gospel. He writes, He, the light, was in the world, and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. All throughout the history of man, we have sought to see the face of God. And for the longest time, this wasn't possible. Moses could see the back of God as he passed by, but no other persons in Scripture had this same vision. Yet God still desired to reveal himself to us so that we could know him and love him for who he is, because we still did not know him. We knew his words in sacred Scripture and in the law and the prophets, but we did not know him. What we knew we experienced only secondhand. And so God sent us his only begotten son in the fullness of his divinity to be born as a man. And through this son, Jesus Christ, and though this son, Jesus Christ, was and is both fully God and fully man, in his earthly life, his own divinity was veiled behind flesh. Man could look upon the face of God, but still through a veil. And Jesus Christ, desiring that all generations experience the gifts of his presence, entrusted to the church a variance of signs in the sacraments, whereby we still can see his face, yet through a veil. Beloved, writes St. John, we are God's children now. What we shall be has not yet been revealed. This is where we find ourselves today. We are God's children now through baptism, but we know through Jesus Christ that we are not created to dwell in this world forever. In the fullness of God's plan, he desires that we should rise above this earthly existence and by his own election and the work of his saving grace be raised to the heights of heaven. As St. John writes, we know that when it is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. The Catechism of the Council of Trent, promulgated by Pope St. Pius V, 
explains that the vision of God in heaven, what the church calls the beatific vision, consists of two parts. First, we shall behold God such as he is, in his own nature and substance. And the second, that we ourselves shall become, as it were, like gods. And so the first part, we shall behold God as he is. The vision of God, which is given to all the saints in heaven, is one with the veil finally lifted. Finally, in heaven, sacrament shall cease. No more signs, no more words, just God. And even then, we won't be able to fully take him in, because God is infinite love, infinite goodness, infinite beauty, and we are mere creatures. But despite our deficiency, we shall behold God with our own eyes. And that's how the line from Job goes when we hear at funerals. I know that my Redeemer lives, and that at last he shall stand upon the earth, and my own eyes shall behold him. That is the first and the greatest gift of heaven. We shall behold him fully as he is. Our questions will be answered. He that is perfect beauty, the perfect fulfillment of our longing, the joy of all the saints, he shall be visible to us in the fullness of his glory. But it does not satisfy God that we merely look upon him. He desires to glorify us. And so to all his saints, he gives a certain glory, a glorified body, a glorified nature, and thus we become like gods, in the words of the Council of Trent. Not that we become gods, but that God will share his own radiant beauty with us. And that's a lot to hope for. Everyone who has this hope, writes St. John, makes himself pure. What does that mean? Is it that our hope itself is purifying? Perhaps in some sense, but it also means that there's an active purification which occurs in order for us to experience the joy of heaven. Perhaps you've had a hope before for some great event, your wedding day, or the return of a distant relative. Surely you underwent some sort of purification in preparation. You lost weight to fit the dress. You planned the ceremony. You cooked your relative's favorite meal. You had hope, and the hope moved you to act. Because while you knew you could certainly present yourself at the altar in pajamas, an unkempt hair, your hope would be most fulfilled, and the joy of that moment would be most joyful if you prepared. And so you took time, you picked the music and the floors, you swept the house, prepared the sheet for your, rel- your sh- the sheets for your relatives' arrival. Our hope is not in some mere wedding, but of the marriage of our soul to God, not for the return of some distant relative, but for our own father. And we are the ones returning, returning to our Father's house. And if we know the true joy that comes to all who dwell there, we certainly should have hope, the greatest of all hopes. But our hope necessitates purification. Everyone who has this hope makes himself pure, as he, as God, is pure. And the method and outline of our purification is given to us today in the Gospel, the Beatitudes. We've all heard them before. Maybe when you were in school, you had to memorize them. But have we truly given them thought? Blessed are the poor in spirit, says the Lord. Or in the words of St. Gregory of Nyssa, blessed are those who are voluntarily humbled. Blessed are those who mourn. Father Cantilamesa, the preacher of the papal household, describes this as those who mourn both for their sins and mourn as they endure sufferings for the sake of Christ. There's much more you could read about the Beatitudes, but the point is we're given the Beatitudes not so we can paint nice phrases on the walls of Sunday school classrooms, 
They were given to us so that we may be purified and thus rise to the glory of our Father, not by our own means, but through his grace and guided by the Holy Spirit. This was the path of each saint that we celebrate today. The church sets aside one day each year to honor all of those saints, especially those which are not known to us, those countless members of Christ's faithful who line the throne room of heaven without us knowing, without our title, saint, glued to the front of their name. But we also mark this day to remind us what is our goal, the goal of all of this, for God's glory, for his adoration, and so that we may return to him forever.